Hello and welcome to Policy Pod, Action on Sugar and Action on Salts podcast. Each episode will be hosted by a member of our team of nutrition and policy experts. We will have a variety of guests to explore current public health policy topics. We hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to our podcast. Um, I'm Holly, I'm Nutrition Manager for Action on Sugar. And today I'm going to be speaking with my lovely colleague, Mary, who is Policy and Public Affairs Manager for Action on Sugar and Action on Salt and Programme Manager for WASH. And is also doing a PhD, so I'm not quite sure how she's fitting all of that in. Um, So (laughs) welcome, Mary. Thanks for coming. Thank you. (laughs) Today we're going to be discussing uh, Public Health England. The recent news is to be no more following uh, the COVID-19 response and also having a bit of a discussion around the future of some of those functions that we um, that we know and love that are so important within PHE. So why don't we kick off with a little bit of background? Um, Mary, can you set the scene for us a little bit? What is Public Health England? Who are they? What do they do and why have they got the sack, basically? Yeah, sure. Um, So Public Health England are an executive agency of the Department of Health and Social Care. And what that means essentially is that they're separate technically, but they still report to the department. Um, All of their staff are civil servants and their CEO reports directly to Matt Hancock, who's Secretary of State for Health. Um, And they were set up in 2013 to protect and improve our health and well-being. And that covers a whole range of responsibilities. So they're responsible for protecting us from viruses um, like COVID-19, but they're also responsible for reducing and preventing obesity, as well as addressing health inequalities, by which I mean how ill health is so much more prevalent in poorer areas of the country compared to the richest. And so in the summer of last year, it was announced that PHE would be dissolved and replaced with another organisation, which is the National Institute for Health Protection. And they're going to take on all the work related to uh, virus protection, essentially. Now, that announcement was bizarre and worrying for a couple of reasons. Uh, First, we are in the middle of this pandemic and we're getting rid of the organisation in place to protect us. Uh, supposedly due to their failings with the handling of testing people. Now, I I can't really comment on how well they they were handling that, um, but there was a lot of bad press for the government at the time on their test and trace capabilities. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, So perhaps that's that's why that that came about. It was also leaked to the press to appear um, in the Sunday newspapers rather than a formal announcement where questions could be asked. Um, which again right. sets mm. alarm bells ringing because you know we, we we didn't even know if it had been announced to the PHE team that they would be dissolved. It just seemed to come out of the blue on a Sunday. So, so two things I've taken from that. One is that they're doing an awful lot. There's a lot of departments within Public Health England, so looking after spinning a lot of plates. Yeah. Um, and also that there might be a case of them being made a little bit of a scapegoat here with regards to the COVID-19 stuff and whether that's not actually reflective on some of the other functions and it's more just to do with the COVID-19 response. Do you think they're doing too much at the moment as an organis- as a as a function? I mean, it's difficult to say because they're definitely um, a large team and, and, and well-resourced. What we're more concerned about is their lack of independence. Um, that because they do report to the department there's um, 
the reports that they do publish are very much top line. They're not giving us the actual detail of, of, of what's happening. So, for example, with their reformulation programmes, which mm -hmm. is what we um, as a charity are, are most interested in, when they're publishing reports on sugar reduction, for example, we're, we're not getting into the detail of how individual companies are actually performing, um, especially, you know, the, the larger companies that have this huge market share. How are they actually performing? Because that that's really key. That's um, what most people are, are buying ultimately. But also then looking at smaller companies, how are they getting along with their sugar reduction journeys? Do they actually need some sort of support to help them to reduce sugar? So I, I, I think it's, it's, it's that case that we, we've been saying for a long time that it's great that these programs are in place and you know it is wonderful all of the work that they're doing and it does sit together as a body ultimately all of the work is designed to complement each other but it just gets down into how it's being monitored and evaluated mm -hmm. it just doesn't feel like that kind of independent transparency is actually there yeah so yeah so thinking about the reformulation programs then so we have uh, the salt reduction program which is quite well established and quite Quite old hat and <laughs> um, sugar reduction which is a little bit newer and also calorie reduction which is newer again yeah um, and it sounds to me that well we know as an organization that the, the voluntary measures are, are part of the problem here but it sounds to me that PHE are getting a lot of uh, flack for um, sort of response to COVID but then we will see from the reformulation side of things that they they don't have that independence to um, really hold businesses to account and government aren't taking on their full recommendations, perhaps in some cases, to kind of maybe be a little bit stronger on industry. And there's that evaluation process is not quite there. So that's interesting, is it? Because it would be intriguing to see what's going on on the other side of things with the sort of COVID-19, whether that's the same, because I'm sure there's a lot of frustrations from within Public Health England at the moment. Love to be a, love to be a fly on the wall there, see what was going on. Absolutely. So with regards to those reformulation programmes, because obviously they're key to the work that we do within Action on Sugar and Action on Salt and also with WASH, what next? What do we need to do? Where should they go? Um, what should they look like? Should they be scrapped altogether? What's next for those programmes? Well, this is this is what we're so concerned about at the moment, is that we really just don't know what's going to happen. I mean, that announcement was made in August 2020. It's six months later and we still don't know what what the full picture looks like. Yeah. Mm -hmm. But it is so vital that we retain those reformulation programmes, first and foremost, because as a population, we're just eating far too much salt, sugar, excess calories. And, and we all know that's having a, a whole range of impact on our health from raised blood pressure, heart attacks, stroke, obesity, tooth decay. And, you know, some people might say that it's up to the individual to eat healthier, but the reality is just so much more complex. There's so many factors that influence how we, how we eat, how we live every day, including income, mental health, space to actually cook fresh nutritious food, um, caring responsibilities as well, working hours. So healthy eating is really so difficult. But what we do know is that so many products on the shelf do have such excess levels of salt, sugar and fat in them. If anybody's familiar with our work, we do regular surveys of different product categories and we find so much variation in, in the, mm -hmm. the nutrient levels of those of those products. So if companies could take out those excess levels gradually, uh, so as the, not to affect taste, we can just go shopping and, and buy the same products mm -hmm. we've always bought. They'll be better for us. 
so it's it's so vital that we do that we do keep those but like you've already said the current voluntary measures are just um well part of it is that that kind of lack of of really strong enforcement mm -hmm. but what we're increasingly seeing from an international perspective as well mandatory programs so so targets that are actually set in law is ultimately mm -hmm. the way that we should be moving because it creates that really essential level playing field. I feel like I say that phrase at least once a month, <laughs> a level playing field that all companies are expected to operate on. We're, we're, we're expecting the same standards from everyone and they have to comply because it's in law. Mm -hmm. um, so that's ultimately what we would like to see moving forward, but it, it will take time to get there. Yeah, so sort of success that we saw with the soft drinks industry levy then being a kind of gold standard approach of of how you get action. Um, yeah, that's interesting. So do you think that ultimately the reformulation programmes or, or food manufacturing um, guidelines or recommendations or measures should all sit within one independent body all on their own or do they need to sit with um, other public health functions altogether. I'm not sure if I'm being super clear, but is it is it a really food manufacturing specific piece that needs to sit somewhere else, or does it does it happily go hand in hand with some of those other functions? Yeah, that, that, that's a good question. Um, from our perspective, it's definitely the most important part of of the ongoing work, but it is really important to realise that. What we're talking about is is a food environment, a food system, and just to take reformulation out of that and put it with another organisation is kind of ignoring all these other really important functions that go alongside that, mm -hmm. that are really necessary that we that we really need. Um, so things like promotions restrictions, so price and location promotion restrictions, advertising and marketing, alcohol and smoking okay. and everything in in our society that makes it really difficult to, to lead a healthy life we need an expert well-resourced team to actually oversee this work um and, and and treat it as a whole because it's you know nothing happens in isolation everything's interlinked what would you say are your biggest concerns um with regards to kind of breaking apart the the systems that is it is it mainly because the reformulation programs are going to be a bit made weaker than they are already or other policies or that we're going to see more delays because i think that's some one of the other things that's frustrating for those working in this field is the, is the the sheer length of implementation time for some of these policies um that, that are designed to change the food environment so is there a concern that once this all starts to happen and that you know it's broken apart into pieces or, or moved about that there's going to be an element of putting all these things on hold again um because of the changes i i would say that well yes that's that's definitely a concern that if we're if we're assigning um new teams to take on this work that they've never done before there's definitely going to be an adjustment adjustment period as they get used to that. But I would say what what's more concerning is the idea of silo working. That if we're mm. now going to take all of this work and split it up, how can we ensure that the teams that have taken on this work will communicate effectively with each other? Mm. Um, that you know what we really need to essentially reform society so that it's easier to live a healthier life is collaboration, not mm increased independent working um, and it's something that has been brought up there was a report released last year 
that showed um, that the Department of Health and Social Care uh, wasn't effectively communicating with other departments that might have some sort of impact on, on public health um, and they weren't necessarily resourced well enough to be able to, to do w- w- what they intend to do, particularly with um, obesity reduction. Mm-hmm. And so I think that that would really be our biggest concern is that food and nutrition would go one place, but it, the work of so many departments has an impact on food and nutrition and we really need to make sure that that kind of cohesive working remains. Yeah, yeah, totally. And I think um, that's just made me think that perhaps our next topic would be thinking about how some of those different departments <laughs> fit in for the, um, <laughs> with regards to other policies because we've been we've been kind of thrown into the world recently of of trade and quotas and Brexit and um, various other things that perhaps we weren't quite so involved in before so it's become more and more important to understand how all those functions fit together and how they affect public health so um let's kind of finish off there i will ask my podcast question because that's what you do on podcasts is ask a question to all your guests at the end is if i was a public health genie in the lamp and i was to grant you three wishes what would they be oh gosh just three um (laughs) uh Ultimately, I mean, it sounds a little bit boring, um, but I really want to see some sort of scrutiny applied to to the work of whoever it is that ends up taking on the work of Public Health England. Somebody who's actually monitoring and evaluating the work and improving and, and adjusting as necessary to make sure that it's fully benefiting public health would be great. Second would be funding. Mm-hmm. Um, funding for public health has been dramatically cut over the past few years and, and while it is starting to rise again it's nowhere near the levels that it needs to be so some sort of recognition of the importance mm-hmm. of public health of well-resourced teams who are actually able to carry out the work they need to mm-hmm. um, and then yeah I guess whoever does take on that work of PHE um, just I'd love to see them hit the ground running and exceed all expectations and we hear we hear a lot these days about the UK being world leading mm-hmm. <laughs> let's mm-hmm. actually be world leading in terms of our health we, we need to be a healthy resilient population and I think Covid's highlighted that more than ever thank you so much um, and um, I hope we'll, we'll be able to try out a few new topics in the future thanks Mary thank you